The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we'll just open up to see if there's one or two more questions. So we have a few minutes uh, in our schedule. And since this is our last class of the four-week series. So I see uh, Kristen has the hand up. Please, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks so much, Diana. I was, uh, uh, I've been meditating, it seems like, all week long. And um, I spent the night partially uh, sad about John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis dying. He was uh, quite a bodhisattva warrior and reflecting on that. So it's sort of emotional uh, for me and I think for a number of other people, too. Um, this morning, I, I, it was delightful to hear all the discussion and stuff, but it felt like a little bit of like cognitive grenades going off in my brain because I'm in such a sort of spacey mood. Uh, so thank you so much for the meditation. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting to think that uh, now I've come, in a sense, back to IMC, and it's like, are these the right teachings for me? Is Gil, is there, you know, my litmus test comes up and um, I certainly feel very, very just grateful to be able to rediscover this, uh, this Sangha again and his teachings. And in fact, all the students that come forward beneath and around him to hear their teachings too, because it's quite delightful and it's something I need right now. Um, something that's come up for me Oh, just to add, Kim describing that critical sense of companionship and criticalness over whatever the issue was with people. I know that very well. I've worked in team efforts as a nurse for many years, and little clicks would arise, lots of evaluations of how people were doing. Did people do good or bad? I've been involved with that and got sucked up into that many times in my life. And I'm glad I've been away from that in many ways. So really thankful for Kim to bring that up. Also, what's brought up for me as, as far as right speech is sort of the sort of semi-evil emails I've sent out in the past and sort of reflecting on that and how to be very careful with that in the future. But for right, right now, for me in the practice, and this goes back to a happy hour with uh, Diana about a month, month and a half ago. Right now, we're all behind masks walking around San Francisco and engaging with people on the street in a way. And, I've generally been kind of an outgoing, friendly person, I think, but I think also times that I haven't been. Um, but I'm really taking the time to engage with people, looking in the eyes because they can't. Primates look at this area and they can't see the mouth now. Um, sometimes it's just a look at the person and give them a thumbs up. Sometimes it's uh, they have a baby with them. Oh, people love it. You say, oh, you have a beautiful baby. It's like you feel they're, you know, or a beautiful little puppy or a dog. You can feel the embracement come out. It's sort of a generativity, generosity receiving kind of thing. And I know as a, in my life, I want to cure the world, but all I can do, or take care of the world, but all I can do really is moment to moment as I leave the door, front door to go to the market, park my car, whatever. Um, and so that's this practice in the Kalama Sutra Sutta is really expresses that need to just focus, as has been most of the meditations this past week with Gil or this past month, and you, Diana, certainly too, have been really impressing on us the importance of 
happiness and friendship and opening up our heart. So that's where I'm in this morning. Uh, I just wanted to share that. That's beautiful, Chris. Yeah. Hmm. You can see, I think, in our Kalama Sutta, we had this, um, you know, the beautiful qualities of Sila and wise speech and Brahma Viharas, heart qualities that um, the Buddha was teaching as well. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And I want to get back to kind of a, a point that several of you um, uh, touched upon. Uh, Chris just now also kind of had this sense, oh, is this the teachings that's connecting with me? Or, and all this kind of questions coming up. And so... So how do we work with uh, perplexities and um, doubts, questions that are coming along the way as we navigate our path? And this is um, uh, the little part that I'll help unpack a little bit. I'll just say, um, first thing is have a lot of respect to question, doubts, perplexities in your mind. What the Buddha, if you read the suttas, uh, oftentimes the Buddha, uh, I would use the criticized, <laughs> criticized strongly uh, is when um, people uh, do not question. Uh, it's sometimes, you know, he used this analogy as if one blind person follows another blind person, another blind person. <laughs> you know, you're following a whole long lines of blind people in front of you. You just, you don't question, but you just keep walking. <laughs> As if you know that's true for you. And so that's actually what the Buddha criticizes, um, sometimes using quite strong languages. So first of all, having questions and uh, perplexities and doubts, it's a great news. That means we are seeking. Uh, our heart is opening. Our eyes are opening. We're really looking. And so welcome that. Uh, receive that. Um, and then um, with respect to doubts, and this is an opportunity uh, for us to begin to really look deeply. And so I had to say, um, you know, first step, open. And then the second step, examine your doubts. Um, doubts oftentimes comes with a mixed uh, set of maybe views, beliefs, and ideas that are seemingly conflict, uh, conflicting to each other. And so I think Kalamas uh, in the Susutta at the beginning I also had all these conflicting views coming from different people and they were really perplexed about this and that's how they went to, to talk to um, the Buddha. And so uh, in our own experience, we can look at uh, this kind of um, multiple dynamics and beliefs that may be inside of us uh, that kind of lead to doubts. And so, for example, just... Uh, uh, in my own experience, I've seen people who uh, kind of connect, connected with the teacher uh, emotionally. 
kind of, you know, that may, the teacher may be very charismatic and young and articulate and, and uh, without um, kind of a really tuning to what is being said. And one can be attached or pulled by uh, our emotions. You know, I guess we just really like the survival <laughs> that's happening. But at some point, when they realize, oh, I'm really wondering what he's saying, what this person is talking about. And so there can be an opportunity then for us to look into us. How did this doubts come, come from? And uh, what is telling us? What is it telling us? So I see this being a real good opportunity for, um, for us to begin to look within and, and examine this, having questions. And then, um, as some of you also pointed out, um, this navigating our way doesn't have to be done all by ourselves. And so we can um, reflect within ourselves, but we can also talk to our friends, Dharma friends. We can talk to other teachers. We can even talk to the teacher we have doubts to. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes um, this... Um, for me, it was a realization that I really appreciate the people who come with the questions about certain things because it allowed me to reflect, oh, maybe sometimes I didn't quite understand these things clearly. Um, so give me a chance to reflect uh, as a teacher as well. And so sometimes uh, those are opportunities for us to support ourselves and maybe the teachers and the teachers are not necessarily perfect and we're learning together and we're practicing together um, and this teaching in terms of how the teachers might respond to this might be a great moment where the teacher might be truthful and might be honest about what they know what they do not know um, and those are the teaching moments for us as well and I found that talking to Dharma friends, uh, Kalyanamitas, um, is a great way for us to unpack some of this. And, you know, our questions are not necessarily our own <laughs> questions. It could be a question for a lot of people. And so talking to friends might help not just yourself, but also for others. And then the other thing I would emphasize on is Continue this journey by practicing um, the ones that we know for ourselves. Now, I love, love, love this uh, thing that uh, David quoted uh, Kim Allen. Choose what's, choose what's wholesome and go with that. So when we're in doubts in various components of our practice, but there may be something that we know that is wholesome. Uh, maybe for the time being, that's the one that's going to lead the way. Um, and then continue to reflect, continue to practice and study. Sometimes the doubts fade away. Maybe the questions may not, uh, are not relevant anymore. And sometimes the questions may shift and change to different kinds of questions. And uh, so... This process of reflecting um, upon 
the teachings and based on your experience uh, is ever, ever changing. And so it's important that we continue to engage with this process and allow the questions to work us and to become part of our practice. At some point, some aspects of this path can become so clear that the doubts completely go away. That's wonderful, uh, kind of like a light turns on <laughs> that we see something. Um, but even then, I'd say, allow this questioning capacity within us. Um, and that's sometimes for me, it's kind of a, a, a guiding um, light for us to, um, uh, to walk this path. Um, I think that's as much as I would like to say with respect to uh, doubts, perplexities about the teachings and teachers. And I'm going to pass it on to uh, Kim. And I'll just hop in the middle uh, between Ying and Kim to say that when Ying quotes me, quoting Kim, that's hearsay. You got to then check it out in your own experience. Apparently, this would be the message of the Kalama Sutta. <laughs> Very nice, <Yeah>. David. <laughs> yes. Okay, so now um, is an opportunity for um, some breakout groups, and we'll be—you'll um, have another chance to connect with each other over some of these questions. And in particular, we're going to um, have you focus on a, a couple of things. The first is, based on your study of the Kalama Sutta, what feels the most nourishing in your practice right now? So this is looking for ourselves and seeing what seems to be working for us. Certain examples could be your daily life ethics practice or um, the Brahma Viharas or um, just your sitting meditation in general or studying, things that components that may be active in your practice right now, what among those is feeling the most nourishing or the kind of the juiciest for you at this time? And just share that with the group. And then the second question, um, which will prompt partway along also, but you may want to have it in mind, is based on the teachings from this class, what are some understandings that you have about how to navigate the way? So this could touch into some of what Yang just talked about so nicely, but also in your own experience, when you think about, you know, what's offered in this sutta about all the different topics, and especially about understanding consequences of things and knowing for yourself, what do you feel like will help you in navigating the way? What do you know for yourself in that regard? So beginning, though, with what feels the most nourishing or juiciest in your practice. So, please go ahead. Okay. Welcome back. Welcome back. Comes back. Oh, do we have some more? Or maybe I think a couple more. There. Here we go. Okay. So, welcome. Welcome for everybody, to everybody. We're going to open it up um, for yet some more um, comments. But before we do, I just want to stay, say that I'll be dipping out like at 9.59. So it, even if uh, we may stay a few minutes after 10, but just a heads up about that. 
And, um, and one thing that, and I also just wanted to say while I have the microphone, so to speak, is that uh, the four of us, Kim, Ying, David, and I, have already, we're already in conversation about what we're going to do next. We actually, the four of us, love teaching these things and practicing together and working together. So you can keep an eye on the IMC website and the Sati Center website to see what we're going to do next. It'll be something very similar to this, where we pick a sutta and do some practice around it and unpack it and explore it. So I'll just put that out there. We don't have exact dates or uh content yet we're working on it and just to give a heads up about that but now to bring us back to this breakout session and the kalama sutta was there something there that you found was helpful and um, maybe some surprises something new that you learned some ideas that you got from some of your fellow participants in the breakout groups so i'd love to hear from you And we can do this um, either with unmuting yourself and speaking, raising your physical hand, or raising your blue hand by going to the participants list and um, raising your hand. Johnny, you better be careful when you scratch your head like that. It almost looks like you're raising your hand. Oh, Randy raises it. He scratched his head too. Oh, but now maybe you actually are raising your hand. Okay, great. Randy. Well, we came, we had a very lively discussion uh, that revolved around the Buddha's um, ability to express to individuals what they need to hear. And uh, that he is actually the, Maybe we should emulate the Buddha's ability to to read minds. But then we came to a discussion about our own ability to read minds because we will say something different to a child than we will to an adult, even if it's about the same um, emotional subject or something. And uh, so that teaching of David's was was, um, very helpful and thought-provoking, so I, um, I think that issue of skillful means is something that I have taken away from this uh, sutta. It's very helpful. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. And Lori, did I see that you had your hand up? Yes. I have a question on this sutta. Um, this may not be quite the topic you're asking for right now, but it is about the Kalama Sutta. And since I have you scholars here, um, in the very first paragraph of the Sutta, there's one of those stock phrases you taught us about that began with a P. <laughs> um, and this one is, he teaches a Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. And I see that in a lot of suttas. And what does that mean, the beginning, middle, and end of what? Or what, do, what in general, what does that mean? Would anybody, Kim, David, Ying, do you want to comment? You can go ahead, Diana. 
Yeah, so there are a number of ways that we can think about this. And also because it is a, one of these stock phrases that gets inserted, so maybe it doesn't make sense in all different uh, settings. But here, there's a few interpretations. Here's uh, maybe one of them. For those of you who are familiar with the Eightfold Path or the gradual training that uh, the four of us taught about before, there's the uh, ethical piece, there's the mental development piece, and there's the wisdom piece. And you could say uh, beginning, middle, and end is ethics, mental development, wisdom, sila samadipanya, for those of you who know that. I'll throw that in there. That's one way we could think about it. And the word for good, um, as Gil Franstall is um, fond of saying these days, is kalyana and could also be translated as beautiful. So beautiful in the middle, beginning, middle, and end. So that um, lends us to think about maybe in the beginning of uh, the teachings, when you hear them, um, when you're first starting practice, and then all the way um, to enlightenment. That's another way we might be able to understand it. I don't know if any of my co-teachers have something they'd like to add. I would add, and I think Ying may also have something to add, that sometimes the, the beginning, middle, and end can refer in practice, I think, uh, but also in the teachings to the past, the present, and the future, the three times that we know the fourth, the, those aspects of the four, fourth dimension that among who knows how many dimensions that we have access to. And um, sometimes that's a useful way to, to think of it. The past and the future, as is pointed out elsewhere in the teachings, are, are figments of our imagination, of, of mind. The present is what we know. And so anyway, to me, when I read that phrase, it also has that sort of resonance around that deep practice aspect. Um, and so many of these teachings work on these different levels. So I'm glad you drew, draw attention to this. Each of, there's so many passages in here that a simple phrase can, you know, sink into practice uh, in, in various ways. Yin, did you have something? Yeah, I think uh, maybe this is uh, this is just kind of how I sometimes um, um, how, how this passage sometimes evokes in my mind, which is the uh, um, that the the Dharma and the path is uh, wholesome in all different dimensions, and so it's you know our behavior, our uh, heart, and our mind. Um, this kind of have, you know, beginning, middle, and end, but also have this wholesome quality across all these different dimensions of our being. That's one thing that evokes in me um, that sometimes I help, help myself <laughs> in appreciating the, the teachings and the path. Thank you all. Are there some other questions, comments? Yes, Craig. Hi, I have a, a, a question about uh, about some terms terms in here that maybe the difference between uh, blameworthy and 
criticized because it, it, you know, in my mind, uh, being blamed is a form of, of perhaps of criticism, but we, we see, we see those terms, blame, you know, uh, blameworthy, blameless, you know, uh, credit something that the wise would, would criticize. And I'm just wondering where you see they overlap and where they diverge. Maybe I'll just uh, jump in and uh, maybe my co-teachers have some things to say also. This is such a great point. And the word uh, blameworthy is not so uh, in English. There's some um, other interpretations. Right now they uh, slip my mind. But I remember that the, um, the mood, the attitude of the difference between blameworthy and criticized by the wise could be that blameworthy is more... Um, an internal experience like, Oh, I, where you blame yourself. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Whereas uh, criticized by the wise is something that there would be blame quote unquote um, externally from others. So that could be uh, one way to hold the difference there. I, I, if somebody might know, I think Abhiku Sujato in his translation, he doesn't use the word blameworthy. He uses something a little bit different right now. It's not in my mind, but um, that might be some help to look at different translations. Yeah, one of the translations is just faulty. That's the sense of a blame worthy as a, you know, that fault. Yeah. It's sort of a related uh, thing to Craig's question, a question I have for, I think this is legitimate in this, in this setting. I have a question for Diana, Kim, and or Ying, which is when, when this phrase, the wise censored by the wise is, is when, when the wise is said, does that refer, is, is the wise sort of uh, indication that those are people who are awake? I mean, what what does the wise refer to here? That might just help clarify Craig's question too. What's the what's the implication of that? Yeah, that's one of those you know compact little phrases that then invites further investigation. I think because then the next question is, well, how do I know what's wise? <laughs> and there are actually this is one of those onward leading things. There are suttas that talk about how you can know that somebody's wise. And in fact, one of them has been referred to in this class, the um, MN95, the one that was in the right column of that, um, the descriptions of ways to know things before. Um, yeah, the, there's a whole section of that sutta also that talks about, you know, if somebody's wise um, because you don't see them acting on greed, hatred, or delusion. You observe them for a long time, not for a short time. You're around them. You watch what they do. You watch how they talk with people, and you check for yourself. Does it seem like that they're acting from greed or from hatred or from delusion? And if you decide that it doesn't look like that, you may not be 100% wise yourself, but to the degree that you can see that, you would decide that they're wise. And that's very much in line with the Kalama Sutta, that you know these actions are the ones that are not good, and we should therefore choose teachers who are uh, not espousing things that are blamed by the wise, criticized. So it's a nice little, nice little tie up there. Diana, you might have something to add. Nope, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Kim. Uh, 
I'll just uh, say that in one of the suttas, uh, there was a, a person who had a question about the Buddha. So he followed uh, around in, with the Buddha for months, just observing everything, <laughs> and then he concluded that <laughs> this is a wise man. <laughs> So maybe I'll just take this moment to uh, give everybody a deep bow. Uh, during the breakout session, when everybody uh, else was in a breakout session, us four teachers were also in one. And we were just reflecting how much we love kind of sharing this and, and with others and unpacking and exploring them. And we appreciate your questions. It helps us to engage with them, these um, readings, to hear from others and You know, it's just a wonderful experience. So I have to bow out now, but uh, with deep bows, deep bows. And I'll, I'll let Kim, Ying, and David wrap it up. Thank you. Yeah, so I 